All right, kids, beat it. <laughs> it's so much fun. What would life be like without children and dogs? So much joy. If you like cats, we can do exorcisms on both you and the cat. Well, there go the glasses. Just having so much fun being in church, I'll tell you. This morning, Pastor Mike made up a new month. September. Well, he's up here. Is that a cold month or a warm month? It's in between. It's a lukewarm. Turn to Matthew 5 this morning. I, I shared a, a, a stunning illumination I got in studying the Word this week that uh, after Matthew chapter 5, there is a Matthew chapter 6. And after that, there's Matthew chapter 7. You guys don't seem impressed. I thought that was... And you say, well, what is that supposed to mean? They're all red letters. They're all what came out of Jesus' mouth. And all of it is so relevant, so important, and so powerful for us. I hope that you're enjoying our journey through the Beatitudes and uh, all of these things that we're learning on the Sermon on the Mount. And I see there's just so much more ahead. But we're going to be in verse 33 this morning of Matthew chapter 5. We're going to continue in our series as Jesus uh, breaches uh, topics and he teaches the crowd, and it's interesting that the topics he's speaking about here are heavyweight topics, yet the people are multitudes. They're not there for, a commit, for commitment. They just want to see what the show is going to be. Yet Jesus is laying this out, and you might want to say, you're not really discerning your audience, Jesus, but listen, he was looking past the multitudes and seeing us, because this is for us, amen, and God's word is just as alive, just as relevant I hope these things are impacting you as they're impacting me. Let's thank God for the word, and then I'm going to jump in and read verse 33 through 37. Father, we thank you this morning that we are your children and you love us. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're in us and in this place. Open the eyes of our understanding. Enlighten us to see beyond the, the words and the phrases and the paragraphs and to see the principles and see the timeless truths that you've tucked into your word. Open it up to us so that it will change us from the inside out. That when we leave here, we'd have a better idea of who we are and who Jesus is and what we're called to do and be in the earth. God, I ask all of this in Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen. Matthew chapter 5, verse 33, Jesus speaking to the multitudes. Again, you have heard the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your statement be, yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these is of evil. Powerful words there. And when you look at the context of how Jesus is speaking, realize the, the topics we've just covered. We went through all the Beatitudes, extremely powerful. Then he talks about murder. Then he talks about restoring fractured relationships. Then he segues into adultery and then divorce. And now on the other end of that, he's really talking to, to us today about integrity and keeping our word. 
And you might think, well, how does that fit into this list? And even the fact that he includes this here is making a point. It might seem strange that, you know, Jesus, these are heavy topics. And now you're talking about keeping vows, keeping our word, having integrity. These, these five verses I just read to you are all about integrity. You say, what is integrity? Integrity is when we do what we say, when we are what we portray to be. Integrity means we're the same when we're in front of people as we are when we're alone and nobody's looking. Come on, church. Integrity is an important thing. It's amazing. You know, we, if we're one way in public or we're one way at the office or we're one way in the locker room with the guys and we're another way in church, that's a lack of integrity. And, and all of us deal with that to a certain degree. It's amazing. You know, your house could be going crazy. The kids are screaming. The bathtub's overflowing. Somebody just broke a glass and the phone rings. Hello. <laughs> I mean, from chaos. And we put on our best face, don't we? And I know we all do that. And it's good because you shouldn't answer the phone like, what? You know, you shouldn't, you shouldn't do that. How many times have you picked up the phone and it's a telemarketer and you just want to, you know. But integrity is being the same whether we're in front of a crowd or we're all alone in the secret place. And God wants us to understand that integrity and keeping our word is something that, you know, Jesus is speaking of here because it's an important thing. Now, in a generation that we live in that lies and cheats and steals and deceives and breaks every contract, including the marital contract, without, you know, any shame, to, to think that it's important in our society, in our culture, to keep your word and to have integrity and always mean what you say and do what you say, it's almost naive. But for God's people, it should be something we really strive for, that we have a good name and we are trusted to keep our word, that we have integrity, that we can do business on a handshake. Where my father-in-law lives in Western Canada, he's a cattle rancher, and he can do business on a handshake, hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, with tractors and bulls. Some of, the, some of the things they have out there, some of their combines are $250,000. You can loan it to a neighbor on a handshake, and when Mark Ferrer shakes your hand, you know it's as good as gold. Yet that's such a rare thing in our society today. Now, you know, you shake hands with somebody, you got to use Purell. And you you, you got to get the lies off. You got to... I'm telling you what. It's like so common in our society that you just, people say stuff and, and they almost don't even believe what's being said. You know, the fact that Jesus inserts this topic in such a heavy-duty list makes the point right there that it's very important to God that his people have integrity, that we keep our word and we fulfill our vows. It might not be important to our culture, but it's important to our heavenly father. And so it should be important to us. Amen. Amen. So let's take a look here right into the text. We go in verse 33. He says, again, you have heard. And we're back to that. And remember, we made this distinction. When he talked about divorce, he said it was said. Why? Because the, the cultural patterns of divorce that people had practiced in those days were not handed down to them by God. They were, you know, part of the culture. And, and it says Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, allowed you to divorce. But from the beginning, that was not the way it was intended to be. 
So Jesus makes a distinction here that, you know, the man-made stuff that you do, well, that's your culture and we need to deal with that. But he says, you have heard when the commandment came from God. And all of these precepts about keeping vows and making vows and, and all of that is solidly grounded in the Old Testament. And they are commanded by God. And God is concerned with the fact that we keep our word, that we keep our vows that we have integrity. So he says, you have heard because it was from God to man. Now, the first thing he talks about here, you have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but you shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. Say vows. When you look at that word vow, we need to understand if we're going to be held accountable by God to keep these things and not make them in a certain fashion, we need to know what they mean. The Greek word here in Matthew is the word omnuo, and it means to declare an oath. So I want you to get this picture of, of a person personally with their own lips making an oath, and it's audible, and people hear it, and that's what making a vow is, omnuo, to declare an oath. So no one can make a vow for you. You you can't be up at the altar and the the preacher's doing your wedding vows and it's time for you to say yes and amen and you, you know, hand the mic off to your lawyer (laughs) with the prenuptial agreement. You have to make your own vow. So a vow, an oath, omnuo, it's a personal thing. It's something that we do, and it's something that we are responsible for. In the Old Testament, it was very clear about how God expected us to handle vows. They all knew this. That's why he says, you have heard. So this is common knowledge. He says, you have heard. And what was the Old Testament idea about vows? In a nutshell, it was this. If you vow it, you better do it. If you vow it, you better do it. This is why I'm not big on New Year's resolutions and all these grandiose and make a vow and stand in front of people. And before the Lord, I say, will you please stop with this? You know, every every New Year's, you know, people make vows. I'm going to be in the gym 300 out of 365. And by, you know, three days later, you're eating cheesecake by the fistfuls. Come on. Stop it. Stop with the vows. In fact, Jesus, I mean, Jesus is going to tell us. Basically, in a nutshell, why those things almost always fail. They're done by the will of man and in the strength of man. And those things are doomed to fail. Well, I have willpower. Well, maybe you can go seven days before you got fistfuls of cheesecake. Good for you. But you know what? Man's strength, man's vows, man's... And, and you know, we take a look at this omnuo to declare an oath. I'm not big on these things. And Jesus is going to tell us to how to handle them all together. But understand, Jesus points to how these commands from the Old Testament were routinely broken in two ways. And the first thing he says is, you shall not make false vows. The first way people broke vows is that they would make false vows. Now, what is a false vow? That's promising to do something with your lips that you have no intention of doing with your heart. And many times we have, people have made us promises and they've said things to us and come to find out maybe weeks or years later, they had, when they said it, they had no intention of keeping it. And so Jesus is saying, here's the way you guys broke that Old Testament statute. You, you would say things that you had no intention of doing. And he says, point blank, you shall not make false vows. Now, the fact that that's wrong to make a false vow The fact that saying something you have no intention of doing should be obvious to us. 
But I'm not sure it's obvious to our generation. I'm not sure it's obvious to our culture. People just feel like, well, you know, you say what you got to say in the moment to get what you want. Wow. Have people ever said things to you in the moment that you really needed to hear, but they didn't mean it? They just said what you wanted to hear to get what they want? Well, it just got real, didn't it? Jesus is saying, don't do that. It's no joke, and heaven is listening. Don't say things that you're going to do that you have no intention of doing. It's obviously wrong. All of us have been promised things by others that sounded great at the moment that we needed to hear, only to come to find out they had no intention of doing it ever. Maybe you said things to someone in a business relationship, in a dating relationship, in some sort of relationship that you said it, and even when it came out of your mouth, it surprised you, but in your heart, you really had no intention of doing it. Come on. Young ladies, be careful when Prince Charming, with many words, is trying to get you, push you to do. Young men, be careful with that smooth-talking one who says, oh, yeah, I'll go to church with you. I'll, I'll submit to you. Yeah. Be careful. A lot of smooth words, a lot of big, grandiose promises. Somehow, some way, we have to allow the Holy Spirit to guide us because we can't see into the hearts of people who make vows and have no intention of keeping them. It's a serious moment. I personally have seen enough of these things to last a few lifetimes. I've worked with people who promised me everything. I've worked for people. I've had bosses promise you, oh, I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to do that for you. They promise you the moon on a silver string, a raise, a corner office, a window, uh, this or that, and they never followed through. As a young person, that was crushing to me in a lot of ways. I learned a lot of things about people and about myself. I've been in relationships, uh, dating relationships, before I met wonderful Kimberly. People promised to do and be all kinds of things, only to find out they had no intention of keeping those promises. As a young person, again, that was crushing to me. I've had friends that made promises to me that never intended on keeping them. I think about the people that I called my friends in high school and grade school and wish that I could go back and not waste time on those relationships. Oh, bro, I always have your back. What are you doing back there? Right, Pastor Mike? We know you're back there. What are you doing back there? I've done hours of premarital counseling where everybody on the other side of the desk said, yes and amen. We're going to do X, Y, and Z. We're going to follow the Lord. We're going to make Jesus the head of our home, only to find out after marrying them, not only did they disappear, but they had no intention of keeping those promises to each other, to their pastor, or to the Lord. Wow. Huh. I've listened to adults promise children all kinds of things that they had no intention of doing. Can I say something? If you promise a child something, you better follow through. You know, Jesus said if you mishandle children, there's a millstone judgment attached to that. Be careful what you do to a child's heart. Never promise a child something you don't intend to do or you have no ability to keep. Daddy will always be here. My life is in God's hands. Be careful what you promise a child. So making a vow that you have no intention of keeping was one way that they broke 
these Old Testament statues. And the second one was this, the practice of not fulfilling vows made to God. Look what it says here. You shall not make false vows. Well, pretty self-explanatory but shall fulfill the vows you make to the Lord. So people were not only breaking vows to each other, and, you know, this is not something that's in the past. Men still do this, but they would make promises to God and break those too. It's amazing. When we get in a tight spot, how many times we reflexively want to make, we want to play let's make a deal with God. How many times, and don't raise your hand, this is not the altar call, but you get into a situation where, God, if you just let me get by with this one more time, I promise I will never do that again. God, if you just don't let that, me exposed in this, this last time, from this moment forward, I will, you know, and we make all these deals with God. And, you know, if we got to be honest, a lot of those things we do in desperate moments, in the heat of the moment, not only do we, we not think we can actually do or keep those things, but we let ourselves off the hook right away when the heat is off. And God is saying, if you make a vow to me, if you make a vow to the Lord, it's like that Old Testament statute. If you vow it, you better do it. Promising to do something to the Lord that you have no intention of doing is a very dangerous thing. Thing. Listen, even if God didn't ask for the vow, 90% of the times when we're making vows to God, God never asked us to do that. God never initiated that. He didn't say, cut covenant with me, make a vow before me, promise me this day. Right? We initiated it ourselves. Even if we do that, God expects us to keep the vows we make to him. You say, why is that? And I'll tell you why. This is what the Holy Spirit showed me. The reason in the Old Testament, we're going to look at an example in just a minute, that God expected us to make a, uh, when we made a vow to him, even if he didn't initiate it, he expected us to keep it. Here's why. Because of the holiness of his name. Now get this. God's name is very holy. We New Testament Christians are very lackadaisical with the way we say the name of God. Jews would not say or write the name of God. They would abbreviate it. There was a different, you know, they had a different level of reverence for the name of God than we do. And so God's name is holy. If you invoke the name of God when you swear an oath, if you use his name to seal the deal, if you make a vow in the name of the Lord, you better keep it because his name is holy and you just swore by his name. And whether he initiated it or not, you're going to be accountable for that vow. Wow. Makes you want to super glue your lips shut, doesn't it? It should. If you invoke the name of the Lord, if you swear an oath by his name, omnuo, if you declare an oath before the Lord, you're expected to keep it. In the Old Testament, there was a judge named Jephthah. And we studied through the book of Judges, and you might remember me teaching you about Jephthah. But in Judges 11, Jephthah made a reckless vow before the Lord. And in Judges 11, we catch up with Jephthah, and he says this, uh, Judges 11, verse 30, listen, Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. Listen, he said, If you will give the sons of Ammon into my hand, then I shall be, it shall be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the sons of Ammon, it shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. So here's this judge. And remember, judges were raised up to deliver Israel when they got into bondage. The pattern in the book of Judges is what? 
Israel would sin. They would drift away from God. They would go into slavery. They would cry out to God, and God would raise up a judge to deliver them. Jephthah is that judge, but he makes this reckless vow. He's afraid to fight the Ammonites, so he plays, let's make a deal with God. He says, God, if you let me get through this one, if you let me win this battle, if I return home safely to you, whatever runs out to meet me, I will offer to you as a burnt offering. Now, obviously, he was thinking, you know, it's going to be a goat, it's going to be a sheep, it's going to be a bull. Something, you know, in the field is going to come out. Maybe it'll be my mother-in-law. I don't know what he was thinking. Just let that settle in for a second. But he was not thinking what was going to happen because the worst-case scenario took place. Now you're starting to get it. Here's what happens in verse 34. When Jephthah came to his house in Mizpah, Behold, his daughter was coming out to meet him with tambourine and with dancing. Now she was his one and only child. Besides her, he had no son or daughter. When he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low, and you are among those who trouble me, for I have given my word to the Lord, and I cannot take it back. Wow. Do you see the recklessness of a foolish vow? Now, scholars and Bible teachers have debated for a long time whether Jephthah really gave his daughter as a burnt offering before the Lord or he just sent her into exile. But from that moment forward, her life was over. She never married. She never had a history. She was sent to the mountains to grieve. We don't know exactly how this was executed, but he knew he could not break that vow, and he didn't break that vow. And we see the recklessness of foolish vows. Don't make vows to the Lord. Don't make deals with God and invoke his name. Jesus is going to tell us how to deal with vows. But let's remember today, false vows, making promises we don't intend to keep, or breaking vows to the Lord is a dangerous way to live, and it is not the way a Christian should behave. The Old Testament commands concerning these things are crystal clear yet people constantly broke them and you might think well why did people break them there's three reasons number one people didn't then and they don't now really value integrity they like when other people have integrity in dealing with them but they don't want to hold themselves to that standard of integrity so people don't buy into this idea of integrity, yet we have to understand as believers in Christ, God's watching us. He's listening to the words of our mouth. Integrity is important to God. It should be important to us. Number two, God doesn't hold people instantly accountable for broken vows. Could you imagine how it would be if the minute we sinned or the minute we broke a vow, uh, something would happen to us that everybody would know? Let's just say we turned orange when we broke a vow. You know, oh, here comes Pastor Rick. He's blaze orange again. What did he do now? You know, could you imagine what, I mean, if there was instant, that would cut down us crossing certain lines, wouldn't it? Orange again, huh, buddy? Been a good week, huh? But, you know, God doesn't instantly judge us. He doesn't instantly... There is no lightning bolt from heaven. We don't get hit with a rock when we sin. And so, foolishly, many people think, well, I got away with it. There's no repercussion. There's no, you know, I can just do this. And what a lie that is. The wages of sin are death. 
breaking vows to the Lord come with a price tag. People don't feel that instant judgment, so they think they got away with it. Number three, it's human nature to want to find a way out of anything that's unpleasant, inconvenient, or costly. Did you ever say you were going to do something, and then 10 minutes later you thought, why did I say that? You were going to buy something. You were going to sell something to somebody for a certain price. You might have clicked buy it now. and Come on. And then you're like, oh, I got to get out of this. Dear, you guys look so serious right now. We're going to just stop and pass out ice cream. Let's just take a break. No. But, but you do something and you're like, why did I do that? Why did I say that? Oh. And then all you're thinking is there's got to be a way out. Come on, that's human nature. Most of us today are just sitting here thinking, there's got to be a way out. And we don't want to fulfill that vow that was costly, that was, you know, inconvenient or uncomfortable. And so human nature and, and the fact that we don't value the things that God values and the fact that we're not instantly accountable, all of those things coupled together create this culture of, you know what, breaking a vow is just what we do, and it's, it's how we live. Jesus deals with the issue in verse 34 as he's dealt with every issue here. He says, but I say to you, so what does that mean? I'm raising the bar up now. You guys couldn't keep it at this level. We're going we're gonna to hit it up a few notches. But I say to you, make no oath at all. Did everybody hear that? What kind of oath should we make? Come on, when, when someone pushes you into a corner and it forces you for a decision or you're in a tight spot, what, what kind of oath are you going to make? I like that. None. No oath. What oath? No oath. Um, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Wow, Jesus is pretty clear about this, about making vows. He raises the bar, and we understand that integrity then was as just as rare as it is today. And because people couldn't keep their word, what they were in the habit of doing was swearing by something greater than themselves. And Jesus says, make no oath at all. And then he lists some things here. And that list is a list of, in that culture, what people were in the habit of swearing by. He says, you know, heaven and earth and Jerusalem and their own head. And he says, make no oath at all. And don't you dare swear by these things. Now, let's take a look at each one of them. Some people, for some reason, would swear by heaven. And I don't know what gives a person the hubris to think they have the right to swear by heaven, but they would swear by heaven. They would say, by, by heaven, I promise to do X, Y, and Z. And, and Jesus says, don't do that, for it is the throne of God. You see, heaven is, is God's place. It's God's dwelling place. It's a holy place. It's the habitation of the Most High God. Amen. And so people swearing by heaven was out of bounds. And he says, don't, don't swear by heaven. It's God's throne. Then some people would swear by earth. You know, and he says, don't swear by earth, for it is the footstool of his feet. So some people would just, you know, swear by the earth as if, you know, they were the, you know, in charge of that. And they would, they would swear by earth or they'd swear by heaven. And Jesus is saying, don't do that. Another common thing was people would swear by Jerusalem. You know, by Jerusalem, I promise to... I mean, I know it sounds weird. I mean, it would be like us to say, in the name of Hoboken, New Jersey. 
you know, swear by stuff. I mean, that's, his, that's about, I know Jerusalem is the holy city and stuff, and he says it's the, you know, it's the city of the great king. He's not talking about King David, although Jerusalem was David's habitation where he dwelt. He's talking about the one who came through David's lineage, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. It's the city of the great king. Now, we don't swear by cities. I mean, we might swear at our cities the way things are going here today. Come on, that's funny. I don't care who you are. You laugh a little bit. If you look around and you see what's going on in the cities in our country, man, it is just, if your heart's not broken, you need to get saved. Because I'm telling you, Father's heart is broken for all the wickedness and sin and abortion and murder and crime and rape that goes on. And now our society is just trying to justify it and legitimize it. Wow, we need to pray for America. God help us. But we don't swear by cities. It just seems weird. These people were in the habit of swearing by heaven, swearing by earth, swearing by the city of Jerusalem, or by their own head. He says, don't swear by your own head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. I guess there was no just for men back then that you could, you know, we could dye our hair any color we want now. And I was talking about this to somebody, but, you know, God can make it all fall out, and then it didn't matter what color you dyed it. So he's like, you, you know, you don't swear by your own head. My life is not my own. I've been bought with a price. I don't belong to me. Plus, I'm married, so I'm not my own. Don't laugh. The Bible says that the, the husband's body belongs to the wife and the wife to the husband. Amen. The two shall become one flesh. So I don't know. These people, you know, are in the habit of swearing by some really weird things. You know, and to bring it down to, you know, our cultural relevance, a lot of people in our generation, in our world, swear by some pretty weird things, too. We were just talking about in the first service the fact that the Italian culture, they would swear by things like, I swear by my mother's life. I swear on my father's grave. Have, has anybody heard stuff like that? I've heard relatives say, I swear on my children's eyes. Anybody heard that? Huh. Weird stuff. What do you, I mean, I swear on the souls of my, I've heard relatives say things like that. And even as a little kid, I go, that's weird. <laughs> Grandma's eyes, leave Grandma out of this. We all know you're lying, but... <laughs> to swear by any of these things, whether it's heaven, earth, Jerusalem, your own head, uh, you know, your, your dead relatives, your children's health, it, all of it is inappropriate. At, at the very best, it's inappropriate. And at its worst, it's blasphemous. And I'll tell you why, for these two reasons. Number one, none of these things belong to us. Heaven doesn't belong to us. Heaven is God's. Who am I to swear by heaven? How about the earth? Do I have the title deed to the earth? I thought that belonged to Jesus in the book of Revelation. He's going to request it, and he bought it back and paid for it with his own blood. But the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The earth doesn't belong to me. What in the world am I doing swearing by earth? How about the fact that, you know, Jerusalem, the great city, that's not mine. I'm not the mayor of Jerusalem. My own head, we've already talked about that. The souls of others. It's inappropriate. There's a reason that people do it. We're going to talk about that. But the reason we shouldn't is, number one, it doesn't belong to us. And number two, we don't have any control over these things. We don't have control, even the hair on our own head, much less heaven and earth. So Jesus is saying, 
Don't swear by any of that stuff. It's inappropriate. I believe it's borderline blasphemous to be swearing by heaven or earth or Jerusalem. It's not our place. We don't own it. We don't have control over it. In verse 37, he breaks it down very simply. He says, but let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these is of evil. Let's just break that down a little bit there. He makes it really simple for us. All of these things that we talked about, some of them humorous, some of them borderline blasphemous, we should not swear by them. He says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. When I hear people say things like, I swear, have you heard people say that? Or I've heard people say, I swear to God, there again, you know, taking the Lord's name in vain. I swear before the Lord. I've heard Christians say this. Before the Lord, I swear. And I'm listening to, immediately I get uncomfortable when I hear that. Immediately, you know, my suspicions go up and my guard comes up. And so should yours when you hear people swear like this. You know why we should have that response? Because a person who can't answer yes or no has one of these three or all of these three issues going on. Number one, they either have bad character, a bad reputation, or bad intentions. Now, that was worth getting up, getting dressed, and making yourself look presentable this morning to get those things. When you hear some of those phrases that I've just popped off at you, I want your spiritual guard to come up and realize the person who is doing that almost invariably has one of these three issues. They have bad character, a bad reputation, or bad intentions. Why do, you, why do you say that you know that's true? Because someone who just can't say yes or no, you know, they don't have good enough character to have enough integrity in their word. Like I talked about my father-in-law doing a business on a handshake, that they just can't say yes or no. They've got to say more. Or, you know, the fact that they have a bad reputation. You know, you, you can move into a new place and not realize the reputation a business has. Or, you know, that's why it's good to research things online when you bring, you know, do business or bring a contractor in or something. What kind of reputation do you have? You have the reputation where when you say something, you do it. Are you like one out of ten stars? That's not enough stars. Do you have bad intentions? The person who can't say yes or no uh, usually has bad intentions. They're looking to do something wrong. That's why Jesus says anything beyond this is evil. Now, why, why would anything beyond yes or no be evil? Because of what lies behind such an answer. Listen to me. I'm going to bring this down for a landing. The person who you deal with that gets loud and aggressive and starts swearing or hiding behind an avalanche of words or elaborate explanations is almost certainly trying to manipulate you. The reason people would swear by something greater than themselves is because they were trying to manipulate that person to trust them. That this time, despite all the evidence and all the, the pattern against this, I'm going to actually do what I'm saying. I'm going to keep my word. And they're trying to manipulate you. Why? Because they have bad character. They have a bad reputation. They have bad intentions. So they get loud. They get aggressive. They start swearing by this and swearing by that. They start this avalanche of words and all these explanations. And they are trying to manipulate you. And I want you to be spiritually mature enough to realize that that's happening when you hear these type of phrases. Now, a manipulator seeks to deceive and control other people for the purpose of exposing exploiting them for their own gain. And that, my friends, is evil. Beware of people who can't answer with a simple yes 
or no? If people don't take your word at a simple yes or no, it's time for some introspection. Have I kept my word? Have I had integrity? Do I have a good reputation? Do I say things and then don't do them? Am I assigned something and then I don't finish? Wow. My wife can take my word when she asks me what I'm doing, where I'm going, uh, you know, who I was with. In all the years, how, how many years? 27? We're going to be married. We're going to be married 28 years. And in all of those years, I have never tried to deceive her. I've never lied to her. I've never fed her a line. I've never told her what she wants to hear. You can ask her. She can testify. I don't know if she wants to raise her hands or throw her Bible in the air. But, you know, she asks me, how do I look in this dress? I tell her. I see all you quivering cowards out there. And she knows when I tell her that that's the answer. And if she wants me to elaborate, I'll be truthful still. When I ask her a question, I don't have to, you know, ask her, do you double dog swear? Do you swear to the Lord? Will you put your hand on the Bible? You're only going to buy one pair of shoes, say in Jesus' name. I'm only going <laughs> to. So we have that in our relationship to where we can say yes or no. Isn't that refreshing? So if we can't say yes or no with certain people in certain situations, maybe we need to take a look inside and ask the Lord to correct some things in us to develop a new pattern of integrity, that we would fulfill our vows and keep our word before the Lord, that we wouldn't make foolish vows and reckless vows, that people could trust us to be solid, level, and to have integrity. Let's bow our heads. Father, I thank you for these words that Jesus spoke to the multitudes that day because they are so relevant to us. They challenge us. They challenge me. They challenge all of us to consider our ways and to see how we deal with our fellow man, with our, those we're in relationship with. Do we have integrity? Do we keep our vows? Do we say things we have no intention of doing? God, help us. Words are so powerful. Integrity is so important. God, we are so thankful that when you make a promise, you keep it. But God, help us not to speak recklessly and be foolish but to simply have enough integrity and consistency in our lives to say yes and no, and to be wise enough to be able to discern those who are manipulators, who are up to no good, who have bad intentions, that we would be wise as serpents and gentle as doves. In Jesus' name, amen. Give him praise this morning. Hallelujah. <laughs>